Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. The country of North Korea has been riddled with mystery. Apart from nuclear testing, rigid hostility against democratic powers, specifically the United States, and military showcases at their capital, little is known about this Mississippi-sized country, until fairly recently. Only up until about 10 years ago, North Korea has been locked down to outsiders. And after miraculous escapes by defectors and a handful of documentary film crews breaching the borders, we've become more enlightened about this hermit kingdom and what truly happens on the north side of the 38th parallel. As electric fences and barbed wire stretch along the border, we now know their purpose is not to keep foreigners out, but to keep their own people in. And after years and years of propaganda, the supreme leaders of North Korea, who have become deities to their people, have made some highly questionable decisions, as well as coming up with very odd, bizarre solutions to simple problems. Find out one of the more strange decisions in the North Korean government to fix a problem they created on this episode of The Missing Chapter. Hi, and welcome back to The Missing Chapter podcast. I'm Phil Hornder here with Phil Schaff. We're sitting down to our next episode, and we're enjoying Second Wind Coffee, a house blend uh, that we introduced to you uh, a couple of episodes ago, and we're, we're enjoying again today. It's interesting, as we meet people who, who listen to and enjoy the podcasts, very often there's dialogue as to what the process is like for us to you know, go through recording. And one of the questions within that is, do you guys actually brew coffee, have coffee while you're recording? And the answer is a resounding yes. Without a doubt. Um, we, we definitely drink coffee throughout the day and enjoy the brands that we're, uh, we're introducing and bringing to you. And it's definitely a, a key component to us compiling this information and, and bringing it to, to you today. So, Phil, you and I um, teach world history, yep. which really we, we kind of emphasize it's our Industrial Revolution um, in Britain's history all the way up to current events. One of the things we really spend a lot of time on is the Cold War and specifically Korea. You're right, Phil. We, we talk about North Korea in more depth, especially recently, because they've been such a mystery for so long. And it's easier for students that we, we find essentially that they remember moments in history that directly relate to those current events. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of current events, I do want to give a shout out to my niece, Kyla, and my mom. Uh, they both have birthdays in April. Uh, April 23rd is Kyla's birthday and April 30th is my mom's birthday. So happy birthday, guys. I uh, love you so much. So let's get back to North Korea. Um, I think the best way to go about this, Phil, is to kind of give the listeners an overview of the history of North Korea, where some of these ideologies and belief, uh, beliefs come from. And I think it gives them a better scope of why the story, the true part of this episode, uh, really, I think it'll bring it to life and, and it gives some, some depth to why they're making these decisions. So I, I think let's start there. So it's at the end of the Cold War. Kim Il-sung is the leader um, and Kim Jong-il is Kim Il-sung's son. So once Kim Jong-il uh, comes to power, that's, of course, because his father passes away. Now, once Kim Jong-il passes away, we have the current leader, 
Kim Jong-un. Right. And, you know, it's unique. It's unique in many ways because the communist dictatorships, the totalitarian states that we're accustomed to, whether it be the Soviet Union or China, those positions were always taken over by people within the party who assumed control because of their power true, and their prestige within the communist party. And what you just described, Phil, is a communist dynasty. And I think that's important because as we, you know, as one ruler dies and somebody else assumes control, there's always that hope for reform, for change, for somebody who's, you know, less of a tyrant. And I think if you're, if you're in the same family, I think a lot of those principles are ingrained in you, instilled in mm -hmm. you. And I think what you're seeing in North Korea is, at least from my perspective, less of a chance for reform and hope. Yeah. You know, as one person dies and the next person within that that family assumes control. Yeah. And it's almost like they want to outdo the previous generation with their craziness. Because right. some of these some of these policies that they're coming up with from our Western perspective, but just from a human perspective, are mind boggling. Um, to give you a little background uh, for the listeners, they have this this ideology called Juche is what they believe. And essentially, if you directly uh, translate it, it actually means up yours. It means that, listen, we are not relying on anybody from the outside. Uh, we're going to pride ourselves on the fact that we're going to protect ourselves from any sort of outside force, specifically the United States, uh, which they have a hatred for, which we'll get into um, with their propaganda. But they also have this belief that these supreme leaders are not just dictators. They're not just leaders of the country. They are the saviors. They have become deities to these people, uh, starting with Kim Il-sung all the way through Kim Jong-un to the point where... When some documentaries, uh, you know, have, have come forward about these people and they ask the North Koreans, hey, can, can Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il, can they do anything wrong? It's almost like there's a there's a mix up in the um, the translation. Like they, they don't physically understand that this person, this leader can actually do wrong. Uh, and I think that just goes to show you that when you when you project this leader to be such a profound person, they become almost fearful of them in the sense that they actually believe that these leaders can read their minds. And it, it's, it's, it's scary. It's eye opening, right? A divine element to all of hundred percent. So I think let's talk about the 38th parallel. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a big focal point of the dichotomy between the North and South Koreans, mm -hmm. uh, 24 hour surveillance. And there you want to talk about tension. Uh, Cold War tension, it's still there because technically speaking, they're just in an armistice. You know, the, it's not a there was never a peace treaty that stopped the fighting between North and South Korea. But right now, as we speak, Phil, they're staring at each other uh, in, in preparation that one side might make a move towards the other. Right. And, you know, Phil, I think it speaks volumes. It's very similar to the Berlin Wall during the Cold War in that if you were to Google image a picture of what Phil's talking about, the DMZ, the demilitarized zone and the 38th parallel. And, and again, this is probably something that we'll post on social media. Um, you have the South Koreans and the U.S. military yep. who are working jointly, who are staring down in 24 hours, you know, every day of the week facing the North Koreans. While the North Koreans, Phil, actually in many instances have their back to the South Koreans. Right and are looking towards their own country. I, sp I think that speaks volumes because yep. you don't build the Berlin Wall to keep people out and to keep people from benefiting you know, from communism. It's the exact opposite. You have to build a wall to keep your own people in. Yeah, that's exactly Very similar right. scenario in North Korea. Yeah, and, and that, that goes to show you what, uh, when, when you have a population of 26 million and you try to restrict them so much to try to prevent any sort of cultural change, 
what that what that actually uh, amounts to. And per capita, their annual per capita income for North Koreans is only eighteen hundred dollars. So those restrictions on these people are not just like you know some some uh, preference restrictions. Mm-hmm. We're talking about I mean pure freedom restrictions throughout the country. Um, they're obsessed with sealing, sealing off access to outside news. It's news media controlled by the state, newspapers, TV, radio stations. They only carry propaganda, uh, government censored news. So, you know, there is a part in um, Pyongyang, which is their their showcase capital. They have it's almost like a Times Square sized television. And at a certain time every single day, a lot of people gather in front of this TV and uh, they hear the news. Well, the news is completely catered towards hating the United States. They even have, as we show some of our, our students, this documentary that we show, they even have, I mean, showing little kids these, um, I don't know, reciting poems and so forth of of hatred towards the United States. Right. And I think, Phil, when it comes to censorship, I think that's what our students in particular have really a difficult time grasping. Because from the moment they get up in the morning to the time they go to bed at night, they are just inundated with news. Yeah. They're just overwhelmed whether it be social media or television or the radio, to kind of understand just how closed off a country can be (laughs) in 2021. And and for me, in many ways, it's difficult to understand, but it really is. They are completely sealed off. When you think of that nickname, the Hermit Kingdom, it epitomizes what North Korea and what the government has been able to accomplish. And by sealing them off of, you know, like you said, a lot of people in North Korea don't even know we've put a man on the moon. Right. To that extent, something that happened in 1969, you know, you totally hand over all power to the government and and what they control. That's right. Uh, you know, they, they block global internet uh, to the majority of their, of their 26 some odd million people. Um, only the small portion of top elites are able to have internet. Uh, you know, like we said earlier, they're, they're even nursery rhymes are catered towards this propaganda. So from a very, very young age, these these uh, poor people are, are being indoctrinated. Um, they've even intensified their crackdown on outside information through USB and DVDs. We shared with one of our classes the other day that that some of these North Koreans are really taking a liking to uh, South Korean soap operas mm-hmm. because they can see what freedoms are available just across that border. So the government has intensified that. So you could actually be put into a work camp if you're caught with a USB or a DVD um, that has some of those films. And speaking of work camps, that's one of the ways that they enforce some of these policies. Uh, one of the work camps that has been kind of more, more so in the documentaries nowadays is uh, Work Camp 22. It holds, uh, we think, at least 50,000 people. And those 50,000 people in those work camps are um, you know, basically forced to be there because they did something that the government deemed uh, irreprehensible. You know, Phil, the thing that's always struck me about Camp 22 is it's also referred to as a family concentration camp. And the component there is that you might be pulled out of society one day and placed in Camp 22, you know, for the remainder of your life, really, for something that your family member um, either did or was just simply accused of. And they never even tell you what what that accusation is. But it's a family camp, so you have men, women, and children there, who they themselves are not even accused of the crime. But it's a family member, right? And you, so let's say, for example, that uh, one documentary we saw where there was a defector, who was actually a soldier. Uh, he announced that there was a um, a holiday when he was a day off, and he knew because he made that mistake, 
um, he would have been killed. So he defected knowing that eventually, if he did successfully defect to South Korea, that not only was where would he possibly get punished um, if he was ever caught by the North Koreans, but if he did get over the, the border, right. his family now would be put into a work camp. And that that's the toughest part, I think, for any sort of punishment is not how much punishment you can endure, but the fact that your choices to defect are going to cause your family uh, to suffer. Yeah, I think in many ways that's much worse. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And while that's going on with these work camps and punishments and so forth, you have the showcase capital, Pyongyang, which I mentioned earlier, which actually seems to flourish. And this is anytime you see um, the government showcase something about their North Korean country, it's always Pyongyang. You know, it's flourishing. There's outside vendors uh, on the streets. There's colorful buildings, which, you know, they, they took millions and, and painted these buildings really bright colors. They're actually pretty beautiful, huge skyscrapers. Uh, but what they don't tell you is the fact that in the past few years, they've actually blocked out the windows of those skyscrapers. So even if you're one of those elite people that got to be in Pyongyang because you support the government for whatever reason, um, and you're in one of these beautiful skyscrapers, they've actually, the government has gone in and blocked out the windows because they didn't want you seeing what was going on um, on some of the smaller buildings next to these skyscrapers because they felt like if the people knew too much, of what was going on uh, throughout the government, then it would it would be detrimental to the entire society. Uh, so speaking of that, outside of Pyongyang um, is where the real the real problems occur. So you have this mismanagement of the people, of course, but they have rugged mountains blanketing much of North Korea, leaving basically less than a fifth of the land which is actually suitable for farming. So if you if you have a government that doesn't really know what they're doing, this is going to be incredibly detrimental to the people. The winters are long, they're harsh, the weather, the weather conditions are incredibly volatile. And for decades, North Koreans have planted just one crop, and that's Napa cabbage, because they, they like this uh, spicy Korean side dish called kimchi. But they've also pumped pesticides into this land. The land was already acidic. It destroyed the soil, and it basically cut in cuts into the yield uh, for that year. So you're going to have massive famines, um, across the countryside, huge forests have been cut down, leaving no protection, obviously. And every single bit of land is tilled and farmed, even the rocky hillsides and the narrow strips of grass along the highways. And by the way, these highways, especially in Pyongyang, are like 12-lane highways, and they're all empty. And it's really basically for the military. But you have fuel scarcities. Uh, most farmers are relying on oxen, but foot and mouth disease decimated the cattle population over the past year. Uh, specifically. And then you have the loss of nutrients causing massive, massive cataract issues in people young and old. Right. I mean, people as young as, you know, their early 20s yeah. who are developing cataracts, like you said, and, and and losing their vision entirely. But what's so fascinating, you know, about North Korea, Phil, is that really, if you were to take a look back through history and look at the trends of Stalin's Soviet Union, of Mao's China, Everything we're talking about that's developing right now or has developed within the last couple of decades in North Korea was almost predictable. Yeah, that's true. You know, the political purging of opponents, um, you need the scapegoat. And, and that's conveniently the United States back to the 1950-53 Korean War. We're yep. still the, you know, the, the center of their frustrations and, and their fear, really. But the famine component that, that you're going to get into in much greater depth. Stalin and Mao, that's really what they're known for. Uh, forced famines in particular that resulted in millions upon millions of deaths. And the 1997 
famine in North Korea was identical to those. 100%. Whatever, yep. whatever minimal food they are producing never reaches the mouths of the Korean peasants. Right. And we talk about not just the deaths, but the health impact that that had, the, the quote unquote, the stunted generations yes. of Koreans that were produced uh, upwards. Uh, I believe statistically North Koreans were eight inches shorter than yeah. South Koreans. Yeah, that's correct. And you think of, it's just crazy. You share a common border with South Korea, which doesn't have just one of the best economies in Asia, but rather the world. Yeah, You're talking about a country that's getting ready to host the Olympics and mm -hmm. has in the past versus a country where people are you know, developing cataracts at 25. Right. That's true. All because of malnourishment. It's just such a stark contrast. Yeah. And speaking of that famine, so you have all of those issues happening uh, throughout the mismanagement of this, of this country. But amongst that, you have people who are obviously starving to death. So you have the workers of these, of some of these wheat fields and so forth, rice fields, they're starting to steal some of this rice. Uh, the government knows about this. So what they end up doing is in any sort of um, deli or meat market, they put um, a, a special set of meat aside that they called, quote, special. So as you're going through, you'd see a T-bone. You'd see, a, um, I don't know, any sort of ribeye or something like that. But then you'd see this ground meat called special. And the rumor was, whether that was, I don't know, true or not, what we can debate, but the rumor was the special meat were those people who were stealing uh, food during those that famine time period, and that were that that was the the after effect of what would happen to you if you were caught uh, stealing some rice. So that kind of gives you an idea of what these um, these leaders of North Korea are really all about. And it's interesting as as time goes on and technology improves, satellite images are becoming uh, very very big pieces of information that we can use to see what's really happening. And this is what this is what we're we're really getting at here, as far as the story goes. What's the solution to this massive famine? Well, satellite images uh, over the past few years have showed some sort of like military building almost. So a lot of people in the the U.S. government are kind of scratching their heads, like, what is this thing that they're making? It almost looks like um, I don't know a a big row of uh, almost like a, a long street, but then there's branches off this this center spine. It's obsessively straight. You have workers on either side of this spine working in alignment, and it seems to be maybe 10 or 12 uh, workers to an area, but it's got to be some sort of military building, we're thinking at least. But what it ends up being is a solution to this famine. And after the break, we're going to talk about what that solution is. Listen, we've all been there. That dinner party with unfamiliar faces. The unexpectedly long elevator ride with a stranger. The line at the coffee shop that just doesn't seem to be moving. Avoid these uncomfortable scenarios and awkward moments of silence. Let the Missing Chapter podcast provide the fun historical facts, the did-you-know stories that make those moments with complete strangers and unacquainted co-workers that much easier. The Missing Chapter podcast, the obscure and interesting stories the history books left out. Helping you navigate the trials and tribulations of everyday life, while educating you and entertaining you at the same time. You know, Phil, when you first pitched this idea to me and you were telling me the story and you showed me the pictures, my mind immediately went to, I think, what everybody else is thinking, 
nuclear weapons, some sort of a plant that's producing something that, you know, the United States and the Western world collectively has tried to prevent. Right. But I, I could not have been farther from the truth. And I should have known. I should have known when it comes to North Korea, nothing is what it seems to be. Yep. And there had to be some sort of a crazy element to what you're going to tell us tell us next. Right. And I think because we have this basic understanding of North Korea and you know what it stands for and the ideology, I think anybody would assume that when you see something like this, which is obsessively straight, it's very well organized, immediately we think military. Right. And it's massive too. It's yes. huge. Yep. So let's talk about this. So what is the solution that the Supreme Leaders came up with to end this horrible famine? The answer lies in the title of this episode, A Strange Bird. The answer to this is ostriches, of course. <laughs> so to cure famine, the North Korean leaders have decided to put their hope into ostriches. Okay. Yes, you heard me correctly. So, all right. So this obsessively put together building was not a newly built military compound or a show of force by the North Korean army. It was an actual ostrich farm. So in the suburb of Sunan, which is outside of Pyongyang, uh, the Supreme Leader decided to take this basic compound, essentially plant 560,000 trees. Now imagine that price tag mm -hmm. on uh, what was once bare ground. Kim Jong-il, his father, um, ordered that this, these gawky birds were be imported from Africa at $10,000 a bird in the late 1990s. So now it's Kim Jong-un's job to you know, keep this thing going. The ostriches, of course, are native to warm climates. North Korea, not necessarily warm. It's brutally cold in the wintertime. So they had to build expensive vests uh, to keep them warm. So imagine that. So not only are, do you have these awkward birds running around, but they also have like sweater vests on essentially. And they're wild, they're temperamental, they're sensitive to noise, uh, which once again, you're outside of the, one of the major capitals of North Korea. So if they're sensitive to noise, you can only imagine what, what noises are coming from their, their pens. Um, so now today, if you zoom in on some of these images, there are more than 10,000 ostriches grouped in pens that line a long road, which is dubbed Ostrich Alley. They have state-of-the-art equipment, including a $1.2 million dismembering machine and sausage maker. And they, of course, they had to import that from France and Italy, because where else would you get uh, dismembering and, uh, machine and sausage maker, right? So you have to order the best according to the the Kims. Speaking of leader Kim, he uh, loves his ostrich alley. He strolls around the farm. He surveys it from a hilltop perch. Um, and he's made over 70 visits over the past few years since he's been in power. And, you know, Phil, what you just laid out, the price tag on that entire operation must be astronomical. Of course. For a country whose overwhelming majority of its population is living in, in an impoverished level that we really have no concept exactly of it's it's sinful it, absolutely you know? yeah yeah you want to talk about human rights violations this is this is top notch i mean but the question i'm sure everybody is asking that when i first stumbled upon this story too i asked the same question why ostriches out of all the things you could choose as a solution for a famine why would anyone immediately gravitate towards ostriches well one of the reasons is this elitist mentality of the leaders. And they thought that this could be used as a delicacy. And what better way to kind of showcase um, this wealth and, you know, unbelievable capital of Pyongyang and this amazing uh, 
country of North Korea than by providing a world-renowned delicacy of ostrich. Well, also the appeal of ostriches is that nothing is wasted. So I guess from that standpoint, I guess it would make a little bit more sense than that. But, you know, so you can be used for sausages. They actually use them for high heels. They use them for uh, men's loafers, wallets, purses. They use uh, the feathers for dusters and they use uh, painted eggs. So I guess from that point, it makes a little more sense. But from an overall perspective from the outside, it makes no sense whatsoever. And like you said, People are stealing rice in the fields mm -hmm. and they're being condemned for that and being put into to work camps. So for the leaders to say, I think this is what's going to solve our problem. Ostriches. There can't be much meat in an ostrich. Right. But uh, I mean, that's that's the most astronomical bird brained idea you could think of. And so essentially, Phil, whatever the elite, the government officials in North Korea don't use or don't consume, the stuff you just listed, that's being sold elsewhere. Right. To help fund every other crazy project That's that correct. North Korea has going on. Okay. Yep. So I think, I mean, after all of this craziness that we've talked about today, we're going to close with an audio clip. And I think this is, this is someone who knows North Korea directly. Uh, her name is Dr. Sue Mi Terry. Um, she's the Korean chair for Center uh, for Strategic and International Studies. And she, she does an incredible job describing what we've described to you today. So before we show that clip and, and air that clip, we want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, once again, thank you guys. And we'll see you next episode. There's no country like this. While it also commits human rights violations, United Nations Commission of Inquiry said there's no other parallel in contemporary history except Nazi Germany. And this is North Korea. I don't think there's another country that's more isolated than North Korea. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, I'm Phil Horander. And I'm Phil Schaff. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.